You're on the Plants Grow Here podcast. I'm Daniel Fuller. Come along with me as we enter a hidden world of deep horticultural, ecological and landscape gardening knowledge with featured experts, industry professionals and enthusiasts. We've all heard the term community garden, but what does it truly mean to garden as a community? This episode of the podcast has a distinctly American accent, specifically a Detroit accent, because Amanda Brezel is taking control as guest host. You'll remember her from episode 25, Small Scale Farming, and episode 58, Intro to Pollinators. In this episode, she interviews Tepfira Rushton, aka T, a fellow Detroiter who is co-director at Keep Growing Detroit, where she oversees education and capacity building. She's also worked hard to provide resources and technical assistance to hundreds of gardens through her work with the Garden Resource Program and helped guide the work of the Uprooting Racism Planting Justice Initiative. Welcome listeners, my name is Amanda B and you may recognize my voice from a different episode. Last I was here, we talked about agricultural innovation and my business Finnegan's Farms. This time, I'm back and I brought with me my friend T to talk about community gardening and why we hold this practice so close here in Detroit. So, let's jump in. Hi, T. Hey. (laughs) It is good to be meeting with you today and sitting down to talk. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. Glad to have you. Awesome. Yeah. So, um, let's just start with an intro on who you are, where you're from, and why community and Farming and gardening plays such a big role in your everyday life. So my full name is Tafira Rushton. Everybody calls me T, as you said earlier. I am, you know, I started gardening seriously in the city probably about 10 years ago. And I really started, at the time, we had a regional blackout that hit Detroit. And I was uh, raising three kids. And I also consider myself to be pretty revolutionary. I was very into Black liberation thinking and thought. And I also was into a a few different spirituality modalities. So I was meditating and yoga all the way back then. Right. (laughs) And but when that blackout happened, I really, you know, I really saw how vulnerable our food system was. And realized that some of the revolutionary concepts that we that we talked about in terms of independence and liberation really had no footing if they weren't grounded in being able to be take care of ourselves. So being able to feed ourselves, me being able to, as a mother, feed my children somewhat independently of this system, right? So, so that's how I, I got started. And I really just, I threw some beet seeds and some carrot seeds in my backyard. I didn't know what I was doing. And then from there, I expanded to do a community garden on an empty lot that was in my neighborhood on the Lower East Side at the time. Learned a lot of lessons from that that project. And then I've been working on nonprofit farms for for several years as well. So, <laughs> really cool. Yeah. No, I definitely remember that blackout. That was a huge thing. That I remember during that time. That is when my aunties. And my mom discovered Costco because I remember they went out to go get water and toilet paper and just like other things we needed. 
and they all came back just like, oh my gosh, we went to this place and it was, it was Costco and they had this and this and this. And it just like, I remember that that blackout really did change a lot for a lot of people. I think that, that you either were, you either kind of like went more towards into how, okay, how can I, how can I survive? Mm-hmm. No, it was a wake up call. And I think we just had a similar wake up call with COVID, right? You know, mm-hmm. that first year going into those, for folks who have never experienced shortages or food shortages, going into like our urban centers, grocery stores and experiencing, you know, empty shelves is a, is a wake up call. You know, it's a wake up call to understand, you know, how food actually gets to our plate and all of the mechanisms and all of the things that we're relying on for that to happen. And yeah, you know, there's also, you know, a lot of inherent issues along the way, right? In each of those sectors, both environmental issues Mm -hmm. in terms of how our food gets to our plate and people issues, injustices that happen with people all along that way. And so if we're talking about true change to a system, you know, we really need to, uh, the food system is such a great example because you have, you know, you have production, you have distribution, you have consumption, you know, and, and, and what are the different points at each of those kind of cycles that we see injustices, you know? And so that's kind of what I focus on now, you know? So this means a lot to us and we're definitely going to jump into why creating this kind of a food system and how community gardens can fit in that area is so important. So for people who don't know, what would you classify, like what even is a community garden? What classifies it as that? And then what would you say are like the most basic things you need to just start your community garden? Yeah, that's great. You know, and I think different cities have different models of community gardening. In Detroit, it looks a little different than it does in other areas of the country, in my opinion because uh, we have so much land here in Detroit. So we are, you know, about a third of our city is vacant land. And so community gardening can play a big role in uh, reimagining what that land looks like. And so um, what it has looked like up to date in Detroit is, for example, myself, when I started a community garden, I was on a, in a neighborhood that experienced a lot of transition through the housing crisis that we had in Detroit. So I could stand on my block and literally look and see about 20 vacant lots on my street, right? These are lots that my children are riding their bike paths. These are lots that, you know, are growing tall with weeds like this, you know, this high in the summer. And these are lots that neighborhood school children had to walk by to get to school. And and if you have any kind of consciousness to yourself, you're, you're like, how can I improve this situation? So for some community gardens are about addressing blight in their neighborhood. You know what I mean? It's a way to, it's a way to establish space in a neighborhood, obviously growing food. And then I'm also a big component, a a proponent of getting out in nature. So that's a big aspect of it for me. So, you know, having to you know, see the sunshine and, you know, feel that wind, all of those things, you know, are, are, are good for our health, our mental health. 
So there's like, there's so many reasons to community garden. There's also, um, you know, in some of our neighborhoods in Detroit, we've experienced, you know, we've experienced some violence toward each other, right? We've experienced oppression. We've experienced hard times. And sometimes that causes us to withdraw in our homes a little bit, you know, whereas, um, you know, so what happened when I when I started my community garden on the east side, I had, you know, you know, I, I literally went door to door and I was like, what what do you envision for that that empty lot right there? You know, what what is your vision? And so I was able to talk to different people. Um, I was able to talk to the children. I was able to talk to the elders. And it it also became a place for this communication to happen. So. From what I understand, it's really just the whole point of, you know, if you're going into a community garden, that space is really about the community. So whether you're taking care of the space because of blight, as you mentioned, or taking care of the space because you want to establish that there are living people here, or if you, you know, taking care of the space because you want people to just have a space where they can appreciate the natural environment. Yeah. That that turns into a community garden or a community, you know, a community space. So, no, that's that's what I would consider a community garden to be. <laughs> and when it comes to just like getting all of your startup, right? So, what does a startup process look like for someone trying to get into, like, you know, you've knocked on the doors of all the neighbors, you know, what everyone really wants to grow. Yeah. Okay. Now, what's a what do What's I do? First step? <laughs> right. Yeah. For me, you know, because we're in an urban environment, my first step is I always tell people to let's get that soil tested. Um, we're looking for primarily we're looking for lead in the soil. If it's most most people are using a vacant lot that used to be residential. So lead would be the primary concern. If you're gardening on a lot that used to be commercial, I like to go a little bit deeper in our testing and I really like to test for the all of the Michigan 10 heavy metals because it could have been a dry cleaner that you're about to open up a garden on. It could have been it could have been a gas station and we really want to know what's in that soil before we get to kicking up dust and tracking stuff back to our homes and our families. Safety in terms of the soil is kind of the first step. Also like it just in selecting a site, obviously like you want a site with you know that six that 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 uh that that quintessential six to eight hours of full sun. I like to choose sites that are also very visible, so that like if I'm there by myself or if you're you know there just a few people, you um you know just being aware of your surroundings, obviously, and um, making sure that there's like vehicle access to the site, so. There's some lots that have like old fencing or things that are blocking, you know, your vehicle access. So that's something I think about. And then, I mean, obviously the big one is like, you know, your watering situation. So what is your watering plan? For me, I was about three houses down from my community garden, maybe four houses. And I would just literally fill up a wagon full of water and walk it down there. You know what I mean? But either which way thinking about, so am I situated in my garden close to my, 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 uh, my holes at my neighbor's house, or, you know, that's a big factor. What, what am I going to, how I'm going to water this garden? Um, so soil testing, obviously talking to the community, like we mentioned, and then thinking through those ideal sites with, you know, sun and unobstructed views and 
and whatever your watering plan is. Those are kind of my 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 five things that I'm looking for <laughs> in a site. No, that's awesome. That thank you for listing those out just like that. That's that's exactly it. You know, yeah. and then from there, I guess I would I'm not, I would recommend somebody. If if this is a community space that everyone is going to be using, figuring out how to like what is your funding plan for mm-hmm. getting equipment to the space? Do you have somewhere to hold your equipment once it's there? Or do you now, like, who's paying for soil? Who's paying for compost? Who's paying for mulch, maybe, right? Like, yeah. all of these different components. So yeah. I would say, you know, you, if you got all of that laid out, get yourself a budget and, yep. go from, <laughs> you know, go, for, go from there. Because you, what you don't want to do is get there and have a space and then you can't maintain it. And then it ends up just going, you know, being something else that was set up and then yeah. not able to be maintained or sustained. So. I, I love that. I love that. And you don't want to overwhelm yourself. You know, a lot of times people take, you know, take on a project and, and aren't thinking those, those step, those later steps out, like how am I going to maintain this from year to year? How many, you know, so I always tell people to start small and then grow with your, once you understand your capacity, <laughs> even if you're starting with, you know, two or three raised beds, start there and just, you know, and then next year add a couple more or add a, a in-ground plot, you know? Yeah. I always, I always try to tell people to start small. Yeah. And with that in mind, so there's a difference between community gardening and community farming. For me, that is mostly just one is a lot bigger and can do a lot. So for someone who is in that space where they're like, you know, I've I managed a garden. What advice and what um, maybe what challenges do you run into in these spaces that would maybe keep you from want, keep you from expanding? Or what is something you know? What are some things you might might learn in those first few years before you decide to expand? Mm-hmm, or- mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, one thing that comes to mind that's often a barrier, and as you know, I and a few of my comrades help co-found organization called the Detroit Black Farmer Land Fund. One barrier is the capital to actually purchase your purchase the land that you want to grow on. I think super important and also an investment that that is often a barrier. Um, so if you're looking to make that jump from, you know, a, a community space and gardening to now I want to think about more like production. I want to, you know, make some money off of this garden. You know, it's kind of Kind of what I think is the threshold to gardening to farming is is kind of moving from somewhat of a hobby to now that I'm taking this serious and I and I want to make some money off of it. Be sure that you have ownership and security in the land that you are <laughs> that you are growing on. Some people just grow on a vacant lot down the street and they don't even think about who owns it. They just you know it's been empty for ten years and I'm just going to do something to better it. Not thinking about now that I've put. $5,000 worth of investment in it, I might lose it to, you know, any other, fa- you know, any factors that are happening in Detroit, right? So, so security, land security is, is one, one big one. And then in terms of scaling up is definitely thinking through your distribution plan. Like where's all the produce, where's all your produce going to go? Where are you going to sell it? What are your markets? And creating a farm plan that matches your distribution plan, <laughs> basically. Um, so, you know, whereas in gardening, 
It might be just what the neighbors like and what you have the capacity to grow. When you're ramping up to farming, you are really considering what your what your market wants and how much and and that's a little different thinking, you know. So there are some kind of like formal thresholds in Detroit, like technically within the city of Detroit, under an acre is a garden and over an acre is a farm. That's just kind of like zoning and, and permitting thresholds. But I agree, you can be you can be kind of more production focused even in a small space, small space. And you have to, it's a different mindset, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things where you have to really want to do it and then be committed to figuring it out as you go. Absolutely. You, you, you know, you never, you, there's some things that you're not going to be able to plan for because mm-hmm. you just didn't see it coming. You know, maybe it's a, a pest issue on the, the thing, which I personally, and we, uh, on a previous episode, we talked about pest versus just like things that live outside, right? <laughs> you know, you're you're introducing something into an ecosystem. So yeah. something that's already living there, whether it was a human or, you know, now we're talking mic- down to microbes, right? You're introducing something into that space. So I personally yeah, don't use that. the word pest. I'm like, you're just here because I, I just made the space for you, basically. I just made a yeah. I just this made was, a This was your act? Actually, I'm the pest to you. <laughs> right. right. So it's like, oh, no, now I have to, I might have to think about this or think about that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, there's a lot that can come up, but be committed to getting, getting through it. Yeah, I love that perspective. Right. So for, for those of you listening that don't know what life looks like for Black Americans, our lives here have been shaped by the fact that we're treated like second class citizens, basically. And it's been mm-hmm. that way since we were, you know, forcibly, forcibly brought here. And so our rights just are not really respected like our counterparts. And there are just other things that we have to overcome. And so one of those is food. So for you, you work with a lot of black farmers in the city of Detroit itself. And so why would you consider community farming and gardening to be necessary to for us here and for just Black Americans? Mm, mm. Ooh, that's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> I like that question. Yeah. For, I mean, there's a saying, I think it's Ron Finley says something like, you can't free yourself until you can feed yourself. You heard that saying, right? And I think even the act of self-determination of taking this abandoned lot that the city doesn't care about and stepping out into it and changing it is an act of self-determination, you know, that is for me, like, you know, for, for, for people who are, for people who are historically oppressed to, to make those steps in self-determination to say, this is my environment and this is what I want it to look like is, is kind of just like one huge leap, right? Because you're taught that you don't have the power to change your environment, right? And, yeah. and to see that you can with your own hands for, you know, like I was mentioning, like I went door to door. And so I had this group of kids and like they, we literally drew out this map and I was like, I want the bench over here. I want the tomatoes over here. You know what I mean? And like, then, you know, within a few months, them seeing their desire manifest, <laughs> <laughs> you, 
you know what I mean? Was like, you know, was like, was like to me, like a beautiful thing. They came, they were, you know, just like, you know, I was like the neighborhood mom. So I had, I had young kids myself. So all the kids were just like congregating down at our garden, you know? (laughs) So, but just for them, they were just so, you know, just that act of like, I asked for something and I, and I got it in this way is like, um, just one, one positive thing of gardening. And then there's like all of the political implications of actually becoming more independent of systems that are designed to oppress you. Right. So in our, I like to say in Detroit in particular, and in urban areas, we are truly under attack with our food. So we are inundated with messages around unhealthy food options. And we are given a lifestyle that we often need to turn to convenience, right? So, you know, I'm a, you know, I'm a single mom, I'm picking up my kids and they're hungry. And, you know, I've been working all day. I'm going to go grab some French fries from McDonald's, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? It's fast. And so, you know, at what point is it the, at, at what point is it the, the structure and what point is it the free will of the people, right? Because if if within the structure, I'm I'm already set up to to be in this stressful you know environment and not have a lot of time to really cultivate a proper meal for my family and this and this and this, and then there's this cheap option right here on every corner. Not to mention the 50 million liquor stores that we have. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. you know, with unhealthy food options in there, when we're saturated with unhealthy food options. The act of countering that system, because that, that's structural. That's a structural oppression that we don't really think about in that way, right? Like, and the act of saying, you know what? I'm going to spend some time cultivating some collard greens. I'm going to spend some time cultivating a salad mix. I'm going to, you know, grow some carrots. And for those kids to see that on a daily, as opposed to the liquor store and the McDonald's, this is what we're talking about with liberation. I love this this line of work because it is a practical it is a practical means to liberation. So like I mentioned yeah. I was I was on this super revolutionary track where everything was theory, everything was how are we going to combat these systems of oppression, right? But gardening and farming really grounds that and says I can do something. <laughs> I have choice. Mm-hmm. I have determination and I'm going to make healthier choices for myself. Like you know, <laughs> it's yeah. all the things for me. It's a, it, it's, it's, it's practically combating a system that, uh, that is seeking to oppress people. Yeah. <laughs> no, I have no, no, uh, no, no, the almost like no comment because that's, yeah. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. And you, I think you summed that up beautifully. That is, this is how, when we start to have these interactions with yeah. the, this environment around us, and we start to work with that environment to create something that's like you, you from the beginning, it's mind blowing. Right. I mean, it's almost like we're fighting a war, right? If, if we're being attacked with food, with unhealthy food choices, right? I almost see farmers and gardeners as like, you know, literally soldiers, like saying like, nope, nope, nope. We're not taking that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and building something different and providing an alternative, you know, that's how I see it. I mean, maybe I'm a little extreme, but <laughs> no. no, I think you, I think you're hitting it right on the, 
right on the nose. I don't think that's extreme. It's it's our lives, right? Yeah. This is what we live with. This is not, you know, the, this this is what you do, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I'll, I'll paint a, another picture too, like uh, for folks who may not have, you know, traveled to Detroit, right? Like, or, or other urban areas who have experienced uh, disinvestment, right? So, <laughs> So I know that. So I'm, I'm like I said, I'm on this block that is like literally the middle of the hood. And like, I know that what my children and the other children on the block see is impacting their mental. You know what I mean? Like if you see trash every day on the ground, it sends a message to you. So I was I was right in that neighborhood. I don't know if you're familiar with that neighborhood that borders Gross Point, Lower East Side. So you can literally drive Jefferson. You're literally driving down Jefferson. If you if you go this way on Jefferson, there's like lakefront houses and heavily invested neighborhoods and schools where I know they're getting all kind of whatever computer they need and whatever books they need, you know, what I mean? like and mm-hmm. you literally drive one block this way and it's like everything goes to hell, literally like and that is a message to those people and to those children that this is what I deserve. You know what I mean? And yeah, so like. See, yeah. So seeing that every day, that's like, no, <laughs> no. If I can do anything about it with my own two hands, we're going to change this, you know? So, you know, we're going to board up some of these houses. We're going to paint some beautiful murals on them. We're going to grow some healthy food. We're going to, we're going to change this. You know what I mean? So that's how I see like the wonderful network of community leaders in Detroit as being these positive influences in their neighborhoods and in their families' lives is is so <laughs> touching the amount of work that's happening with, without without a lot of investment. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you can see just how far you can go even without it. Yeah. So much and it's like it just speaks further to what we can do for on our own. Mm-hmm. So what Let's see. What, where do you see the future of this going? You know, like what is, I know that Detroit and, you know, we're from Detroit, so we're going to talk about how Detroit is a blueprint anyway. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just put that in there, Detroit. <laughs> and so we're, there's a lot of organizations in Detroit that have helped to shape what urban farming looks like across the nation. So yeah. as we grow and do more, where do you see the future of just fair food networks as a whole across the nation, you know, as that relates to Black Americans? Yeah. Well, in, in Detroit in particular, first off, like, I just think we have this grand opportunity right now with the vacant space that we have to redesign a city that's based on some type of food security. So. And, and to be an example of that across the nation. So if, if we can really support these community gardens and farms to, to, to really establish themselves, I can see a Detroit where we have, you know, less liquor stores. Or when you go to the liquor store, you can also get broccoli. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Get them both. You can get, get your beer both. and you can get broccoli. <laughs> Right, you can get the tequila and the lime. Right, it's a whole thing. <laughs> no, that makes sense. You know, not you know, not downing, but like you know. So I, I really, I really see. I can really see like having these pockets and us really creatively supporting farmers to re envision what vacant land can look like in the city. And then Detroit is the you know the canary in the mine hole. I mean, like 
we, you know, we're at the, we've, we've traditionally been at the forefront of a lot of movements. And as you see different cities following suit in terms of losing industry and what, and, and having to figure out what to do in the face of disinvestment from companies and things like that, this can really be an example of self-determination, right? And across, across the nation. I also really would love to see some of our urban farmers connecting with rural farmers and traditional larger scale black farmers. Like I would love to, to see that connection happening. And I can, I can envision that. I can envision a network of, of urban and rural farmers that learning from each other cross-generational. And I also will put it out there that I envision justice for black farmers, you know what I mean, <laughs> in our mm-hmm. future. So I can see where I, I see, I see that the kind of the political, you know, like, like, for example, the, the, the USDA lawsuit that happened, Pickford versus Glickman, right? That was kind of like the first real government admission of wrongdoing to black people and repair and, and, and attempts to repair that. You know what I mean? And I can see where operations like the, the land fund that's here in Detroit and Washington and the land, you know, land funds that there's a land fund in New York and what they all connected in this really reparative way for black farmers, meaning, meaning when we're talking about black farmers, we're talking about land for black people and assets and production. You know what I mean? And so those are the things I see. <laughs> you know, what do you see? What do I see? <laughs> That has honestly what you're saying, that network. For me, it was always about building that and making communities more resilient. That's what I went to school to learn how to do was mm-hmm. based off of real like ecology and, and biology and chemistry and science and disaster relief and agriculture, throwing all of these things together to see how a community can save itself. How does yeah. that work? You know, agriculture is a really big def- part of defense for the United States. So all, all of that falls under agricultural defense, and that's what I studied. So for me, you know, graduating out of programs like that and moving here and there, I was always just like, yeah, but if this is something that the, a country itself can rely on to keep its keep itself safe, then this is something that my home can do. This is something that my community can do. And there was already a long history of agriculture in Detroit. And so it was like, why, why can't we be the ones to take that further? Mm-hmm. And so connecting with more and more farmers has been great because that's like, that's what I see. I see us being able to sustain ourselves, like our city being able to sustain ourselves mm-hmm. and them moving and moving potentially statewide or nationwide, but like getting to a space where just we can be, we can basically show people what that looks like to be an urban city, a predominantly black city that can take care of themselves. When, that's what I see. So we're, we're on the, we're on the same way with that. That's, that has been my, my mission. That has been really what, why we created against farms because if we can help other people set their stuff up even if it's just building a bed right we're we're making we're breaking ground there we're making headway in that way so 
Exactly. That's exactly. What I see. Okay. Okay. I know we're going to be a little bit off topic, but I saw that in your thing, the agriculture defense. And I was like, what is that about? Could you just please give me two minutes, even just two minutes? Yeah. Break that down. Okay. So basically, it's the study of how you use t- traditional defense mechanisms as it relates to agriculture. So you're basically looking fully into the food system as a whole, understanding imports, exports, what things go and sell at the market for this rate, what go, you know, commodities, trading, things like that. And then you break it down even further. So the program I went to, you have to study everything. They make you study biological defense, chemical, agricultural, nuclear, and radiological. So you go through the whole thing. I was primarily just there to study agriculture. So I did the rest and just most, mostly focused on what I was there to do. And that took me through classes about community resilience, uh, disaster relief, climate change, and how all these things work in a natural system and in a natural environment. So if I were to go to, let's say, a country where it was uh, just a war, a war just ended there. So you've got abandoned buildings, you've got torn down places, you've got this going on in in the soil, you've got disease, you've got death. So I would basically be trained to be the person to come in and say, okay, this is how we get the soil back so we can eat. (laughs) This is how we go back to setting up a network. This is how we deal with those who are displaced. And this is how, you know, my job would just be to come back and put everything back in order and then rebuild. So mm-hmm. once mm-hmm. I learned how to do that, I was like, Detroit. Yeah. I'm going home. Like Rebuild. Home. <laughs> you know, what that this is who this is who needs this information. And so yeah, that's that's like a a brief overview. But yeah, you basically just study how agriculture works and how things can happen with food. So if yeah, you know, if there's so a disease being introduced to food or foodborne illnesses, pathogens, things like that. Um, understanding how to track those. Like if there was a, if there was a, a food outbreak at a music festival, right? I'd be the person to contact all the vendors, figure out who had what, those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it can be a lot, but for me, I just, I prefer the part that focus on ecology and how that, you know, working outside <laughs> and taking care of people through food. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've been wa- I've been wanting to ask you that, so thank you for taking that two seconds. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and and guess what? I want to learn some more. So, <laughs> oh yeah, yes. And I know um, Dan's probably like, oh my goodness, I have to figure out where to cut. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is uh, yeah, this is what happens when you get a and when you get a. Uh, we got a whole cipher going. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we have a whole segment now. <laughs> so for you, what organizations, businesses? community farms did you want to shout out while you're here you know which ones do you primarily work with oh wow well I don't want to leave anybody out so the I'll just say in the I work full-time at Key Grundy Trade Farm and we grow transplants for a network of gardeners there's 2,000 gardeners in the program a lot a vast majority of those are backyard family gardens right and so but there are several hundred community gardens that that we work with we do we host classes in or we provide some technical assistance provide transplants obviously or seeds so but 
you know, with Keep Grandy Trade is a partner in the Black Farmer Land Fund with, I will shout out, Oakland Ave, which is a longstanding organization in the city from North Central to the city. There is a Detroit Black Community Food Security Network within our uh, committee. They're out at River Rouge. And there are, I mean, there are tons of folks growing out in the Brightmore area. There are tons of folks growing on the east side. I mean, there are so many beautiful people in Detroit that are like taking on that charge of, you know, redeveloping their 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 neighborhood, frankly, and 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 introducing their communities to food. So I, I name a few that I'm working closely with right now, but I think uh there are there are hundreds of, of them in the city that that I that I could name and and have good relationships with. And yeah, I, I and I'm and I'm so happy that Finnegan <laughs> will be in the house. Yes, we're, very, we're, <laughs> we're excited. We finally have transitioned from mostly helping with setups to just being in a space. And this year we were able to secure a space just for a season as we wait for us to get to the okay. end acquisition process but no thank you for thank nice. you for all, all of those people you shouted out i was like wanting to do snaps in the back <laughs> and yeah, I, when we first initially got started we just we sat down and we called everyone who we could, who we could call anybody who was talking about agriculture or the food system in the city we were like hello <laughs> hi this is what we do how can we connect so yeah, it's yeah. really about building that network. And when I, I feel like you can probably speak to that being here, being here and, and helping and supporting people. You just, you meet a lot of different people. And I will say the world, it's smaller than you think, right? It's a lot of people, but it's smaller than you think. And it feels that way because everyone seems to really have each other's best interests at heart and the city's best interests at heart. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I call it the li- the little big city. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. We're a tight knit community. Oh, we absolutely are. Do you have any words of encouragement for anyone who would be starting a, a community garden space or would get one to be getting into community farming? First, I would say thank you. <laughs> you know, thank you for wanting to, to start that mission. Obviously, for all the reasons we've outlined here, uh, it is vital and essential work. It is, uh, vital and essential work to be doing it in our communities for sure. And, and, and we reaffirming our relationship with the land, you know, as stewards of the land. So, you know, I think a lot of the things that we outlined, particularly what you just said, like, don't forget that it's a community garden. So, (laughs) so, so, you know, involve the community in every step that you can get permission from the community, get permission from the elders in the community get permission from the land to even be there, you know what I mean? And kind of enter whatever community you're doing. If, you, if you're there or you're entering in this community, uh, just do it respectfully. So yeah, getting to know other farmers in, in the area and then getting to know neighbors is kind of like clutch for me, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, because that's, that's, it's about those, it's about those relationships. Like I think first and foremost, yeah. That would be my that would be my strong advice. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much. And thank you for being here. Thank you for recording with us and 
thank you for just being here to give that knowledge and information and your time to talk to listeners about how to do this and why 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 it's such a big deal for us. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me. As always, check the show notes for relevant links. If you liked this episode, please share it with somebody that you know would also like it. Don't forget to subscribe on whichever app you're listening on as well, so you don't miss out on more content. If you'd like to hear more from Amanda, check out episodes 25 and 48.